I want to say one to two times a year. And for those of you who have been around for a while, you, um, you may argue that it's been more than that. And I would like to involve this Nutri-Grain bar in the, the telling of the story. If you've heard this story before, which again, a lot of you have, I just encourage you to re-engage for a moment. And uh, like, don't, don't tap out. And then two, I only have one life, so I only have so many stories, so just forgive me. I'm self-conscious about it, I guess. These friends, it's appropriate on a day that we're talking about foster care and adoption, friends who had adopted these children, these kids who are older. I believe their ages, I, I, I continually mess this up, I believe it was 14 and 16, brother and sister, adopted them. If you know anything about adoption, adopting at that stage in the game, it is a fairly difficult adoption. These kids have been in the foster system, in group homes, not in a whole lot of healthy, long-term foster care. And so, uh, just in case you may know them, I'll just let's call them the Smiths. And the Smiths adopted these two kids. And so in the court proceeding, in, in that moment where the uh, final documentation is being signed, rights are being handed over, the gavel drops, I imagine. At that moment that is definitive, those kids, let's call them the Joneses, become in every way legally Smiths. And so this, this family, the Smiths who adopted them, they are incredible people. But let's like, just for the sake of the story, let's just say uh, there are some things that are, are universally equivalent with the Smith name. We know that everybody has their issues and nobody is perfect and loving and amazing all the time. But comparatively to what these kids have experienced, to really be a Smith... And I can say this knowing them firsthand means that, one, you're going to be loved in a very, like, real, tangible way. You're definitely always going to be fed. You're going to be safe as far as it is in their control to provide a safe environment for them. And your gifts are going to be nurtured. You're going to have, the Smiths had some resources, some physical resources. And those resources now are fully at your fingertips. Now, as many of you know the story, the 14-year-old, um, well, the 14-year-old girl um, is acting out a bit, and, uh, which is kind of understandable, trying to make sense of this environment that they're in. And they start to notice, though, a couple things, and they, they, they think it's her for a few reasons. They notice that there's food that goes missing relatively frequently. Um, and I remember when I heard the story, one of the things that kept going were Nutri-Grain bars, granola bars. I don't know if they're Nutri-Grain. They're granola bars. They kept getting taken, they, 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 or they didn't know what was happening. At first, they didn't really pick up on what it was, and then they noticed more and more and more and more there was... They're like, we're missing little bits of food here and there. And so one day, I don't know what piqued their interest or caused them to do this, but they went into the bedroom. The parents went into the bedroom. I don't know if they were cleaning, if they were looking for something, or they just stumbled upon it uh, accidentally. But underneath her bed, tucked in a corner in a box, was like a stockpile. Granola bars. Bread. Cookies. Bread wasn't looking too good. All this food, a couple water bottles. So they were naturally confused. And so a day or two later, they sat her down and they said, Hey, we're not, we're not, we're not mad or anything. We, we just want to know why you were, you were, you were taking the, the food. And so she starts to cry, and I think she made some comment, like, are you going to send me back? And they're like, no, no. And as they begin to calm her down, 
and they begin to ask her more questions, what they begin to realize is that she's been food insecure her whole life. As far as she can remember, she never could be sure of where the next meal was going to come from. So what do you do if you've been in that survival instinct for that long? What's your move? You, you stockpile food. That was a pretty smart thing of her to do. This is all she's ever known. Now, it, it was a, a, a beautiful moment when they were able to look her in the eye and say, basically, the equivalent of everything I have is yours. Everything, you never have to worry about. If you need anything, just come and ask me. You don't have to take it and hoard it. Like, you, you have to, to trust us. And I imagine somewhere, I, I don't know how self-aware this 14-year-old was, but I imagine somewhere there's a little voice inside her in that moment that is going, trust you? Are you serious? I mean, they have been living with them for a long time. This wasn't like some blind adoption. She knew them. She loved them. She was learning to, but like, it, it would be the, it, it's like asking her to just forget what have been like, like groo new gro like grooves that are in her life. Like this, this groove has been formed slowly from eight to nine to age 10 to age 11. This, you can't trust people and you can't trust where your food's coming from and you can't trust you're going to be safe. And, and so I'm, I'm learning to trust you, but if you think I can just turn this off, I imagine if she was able to articulate it like this, she would have said, you are naive. And so one part of the story is actually that they were just, hey, if you feel better having some granola bars under your bed, go for it. And, and so as, it, as the story progressed, one of the spiritual disciplines, one of the, the things to begin to unlearn and to trust a different way was to start just handing the granola bar back to mom and dad. Hand one more, hand a water bottle back. Hey, feeling good today. Here's a couple things from the box. I'm slowly gonna trust that I don't need that box underneath my bed. See, there was a way to live in this Smith household. It was a way of, of, of trust. There was a way of abundance. You, you're going to be taken care of. You're going to be loved. And so that means we don't, we, don't need to, we don't need to steal from mom and dad. I love that they did not punish her. I love even that when they clarified it, they didn't just take it away. What did mom and dad do in that moment? Where did they meet her? Right where she's at. I get it. It's a bit hard to trust this when all of the signals and all of the grooves, all of the mantras and the signaling and the formation has been in a different direction. But there is a way to live in the Smith house. And they would argue... <laughs> They would laugh if they heard me making this parallel, but <laughs> that it's the best possible way to live. There's a way as followers of Jesus that we're called to be in the world. There's a way to be in the world. In fact, the first followers of Jesus were called, before they were called Christians, they were called people of, anyone know? People of the way. We first find the language of way describing Jesus' mission at his birth in Luke 1, 79. Jesus was said to be the one who will guide our feet into the way of peace. In Matthew 22 and Luke 20, others acknowledge that he taught the way of God. Jesus observes John the Baptist. Also, he says he taught the way of righteousness in Matthew 21, the difficult way. 
Most importantly, Jesus said, I am the way. In the book of Acts, the language of the way does even more work. The word grows and becomes the label for the whole, like, announcement of the good news of Jesus. Paul was said um, to be going after. Anyone know Paul was not a big fan of followers of Jesus for a long time? Maybe you're brand new to the way at church. Let me back up here. Paul was a guy who uh, wrote a lot of letters to different outposts of love and, and justice and beauty, these, these, these churches. This is the beginning of the story of the church, and Paul was encouraging them. But Paul w- was um, a, a zealot of the Jewish faith, and he was somebody who was threatened by this sort of cult and was killing Christians or organizing people to kill followers of Jesus before he came one. Right? This is why as followers of Jesus, we know that no one is ever beyond redemption. Right? We'd have to throw out half our Bible if we thought those evil terrorists over there better get what they deserve. We'd literally have to rip out our Bible. So if you're going through some stuff or you're doing some stupid things, you're not beyond redemption. Please know that. He confessed that he persecuted the way Paulus knew something about the Paul knew something about the way of the Lord. In Ephesus, there are opponents who spoke these bad things about the way. You see this language come up over and over and over. As ancient Christians understood it, a way suggested a journey of transformation with steps and a maturing of soul and community. So it was contrasted, especially sometimes with the way people see church nowadays or Christianity. One, you can embrace a system of belief and never mature. A system of belief is different than a way of transformation. It's different than a path. That's why so many give up on this space on a Sunday morning. I get it. If this is all there is, I show up, I hear like a really long version of a TED Talk. I sing some songs, which... For some people, they love, and for others people, it's their least favorite part, and they wait 25 minutes to show up and walk in. They take communion because it kind of harkens back to some sense of, like, their tradition, and they go, leaving unchanged. Because we know we have more information about Jesus than ever before. There are more podcasts and more explanations and more access to books and thoughts than ever before, and it does not equal transformation. We're invited to a way, not just some proper belief about things. Luke 14, 33, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There is a sense of coming after and walking the way of Jesus. For the Apostle Paul, the whole message of the way gets summarized in this, in the cross. He said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. The way of the cross. The way of the cross is often described as a bit radical. Many have written about how in modern day Christianity, at least in the West, I should say, we have found ways to turn Christianity into some sort of feel-good Go get them. You're going to be okay. doesn't really matter what you do. You're going to go to heaven. It doesn't really matter what happens with this earth. You'll be all right. And then you come and, and you just you, you show up to be encouraged. Getting involved in a church is relegated to like serving on a greeting team or helping out set up lights so spiritual professionals can just sort of encourage you more. Becoming a follower of Jesus equals an altar call where you just sort of put your hand in the air in a quiet moment, which, by the way, we do and is a great start to the journey. But that becomes it, and then you become a tick on that's how many people got saved that week. You convince them to go get baptized, and then you're sort of hands off, and maybe you'll find a small group where you can discuss more information. I'm not a cynic. I'm really actually kind of optimistic in general. If you were here last week, Brian Sanders, who spoke, I hung out with him for way too long. So I'm just, all some of my like high cynicism is starting to come off me. Just kidding, Brian. 
I say that because it's real. I say that because we have to be careful that we don't inoculate ourselves to the gospel. Everyone knows what inoculation is, right? You get a little bit of the thing so that your body can, can like, like basically won't ever get the virus. It, it, creates a, it creates some walls, it creates some, some fight, and it pushes back. And so we just get a little bit in, and we talk in Jesus' language, and we do Jesus by lifestyle enhancement. But the way of the cross, I want you to know nothing except Christ crucified. The way of the cross is, is pretty brutal. And so Jesus came along and said, I've come to give them life and life to the full. He says, oh, if you want to know what ultimate life is, Right, it'd be like uh, everyone. Everyone who Joel Osteen is, few you. He wrote a book called "Your Best Life Now." I'm not going to say one th- critical thing about Joel Osteen. Practice this. <clears throat> Does that mean I just said a bad? I just failed. Imagine Jesus's face, whatever that looked like on the cover. Probably not smiling so shiny, but he's on the corner, and it just on the cover, and it says, "Your best life now." Your best life now. And, and he means it. But it's just probably some blood on his face. There's probably some tiredness in his eyes. He's probably been beating around a little bit. He's got that look of somebody who, but he's, but he's still smiling. It's not that like cheese ball, shiny teeth smile. It's a joy that has been through Friday but made it to Sunday. There's a joy and a lightness and a freedom because Jesus says, I've come to show you the best possible way to live. I'm telling you it's better to give than to receive. I'm telling you laying down your life, it's, it's just better. It's more rich and more beautiful. There's a way to live in the house. There's a way to live underneath this king. There, there, there's an actual way to be in the world. And in large part, what we do when we come together on a Sunday is we remind ourselves of the different ways that, that we're called to follow Jesus. The way of the cross. The way of loving our enemy. The way of laying down our life. The way of announcing the good news of Jesus. But I don't know about you, but oftentimes I come whether it's on a Sunday or anywhere else on my Christian walk. And, um, like, I, you're just not very good at being good. Anyone else, like, have some, like, you're just not, I know some of you are really good at faking being good, but <laughs> I'm kidding. Some of you are amazing, beautiful, and holy. No, you are. Thanks be to God. But it's a struggle, is it not? There are ways that we have thought about being in the world. Each of us have our own set of grooves, our own patterns. You know what I say when I say grooves? I really keep using this analogy. On a, you know how a record is made? Old record, circular, spin around, back in vogue now. Some of you have them in your basement. Some of you just bought some at Urban Outfitters. That's probably the spectrum that we're looking at. A record, right? It starts just flat. It doesn't like... It starts just clean, smooth. And, and you actually begin to build grooves in it. So when the needle comes and follows along those grooves, it knows to play the music. That was the worst description of the record. But those grooves are what communicate to the player. And like what the song is. There, there, there's a pattern. And it's, you can't like, like you could a tape. You can't like erase a, ta- erase a record. They like fill in all of the gaps and then somehow recut the vinyl. There are ways that we've been shaped in the world, things that have happened to us. Addictions that have like formed slowly. Like Psalm 1 says, we started, um, you know, kind of walking with sin and then we were just found ourselves standing with it and then we found ourselves sitting in it and we weren't quite sure how that process happened. And, And now... There's some ways in which we think about the world. And so when we come and are confronted with the way of Jesus and we see the contrast, we tend to go in one of two directions. We tend to either white knuckle, like I'm going to get better. I'm going to have an accountability partner, which is great. 
I'm going to, really, I'm going to um, adopt these practices and that will be the thing that helps me become more A, B, and C, more loving, more beautiful, more kind, more full of joy. Or we go, I'm just not very good at being good, and we go towards hedonism. We go, I, I just, it's just a lot of work, and I can be a decent human being. And frankly, it's just too much to kind of ask God to fix that thing. And it, it, it can feel like this, this burden that we have to kick free and go. And so it brings us to our text today. If you want to put that on the screen. Mark 12. I want to just talk for a minute about what do we, what do, we do when we, we've been talking about these, these, these big macro calls that we have on our life that are going to lead us into a new season of talking about our individual calls. But these big calls in our life, we're called to a person of Jesus. We talked about how we're called to a mission in the world. There's something that God's up to. Last week, Brian talked about how we're called to engage that mission. We're being invited to step in. And then as, as much as this may be obvious, we felt like we needed to talk about, and that mission, that like way of being in the world, like that's a way, that's a thing. And we have to recognize that there's a disconnect between what naturally like has happening in our hearts what we say we want, what we believe about who Jesus is and our actual behavior, the things we actually do. Recognize my friend who became a follower of Jesus fairly recently in the last couple of years is one of the most amazing moments to see. And it was like, I mean, on fire. I never thought I'd see this guy like listen to a worship song, never mind, like be in church, like, like it's just... I don't know if you've ever had like a friend who was like, no, never that. Oh my gosh. Like, what do you, I'm, I'm, you're more Jesus than I am right now. This usually happens, right? You're like, I'm throwing out my old life. I'm done with all that. Give me what? So it was incredible to see, but he, he would keep coming up to me and going, um, Andrew, I'm, 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 this is why I'm confused. Because I, I'm more in love with, the, with God than ever before. I can't believe this is true and God's been speaking to me and I'm, I'm, I'm understanding what it means to walk the way of Jesus. But I still struggle with X. I'm like still dealing with this thing. And for a lot of us who've been followers of Jesus for a long time, we're like, yeah, of course. How would you even think otherwise? But you got to understand for him, it's like, I don't get it. I flipped the switch. I said, yes, the gavel came down. And to use biblical language that ties nicely into my first story, I was adopted into his family, it says in Ephesians. I'm in the family. Why aren't I perfect? We all kind of laugh, but I go like, oh, that's a good question. Let me help you understand this. It's because you have been changed. Your, your whole entire the, the, the title, the headline, the name is different. But as Paul says, we, we've been formed by patterns of the world and we need to be conformed to this new way. We need to live into this new identity. When you begin to own more and more and more that you are loved, here's what begins to happen. There's a way to be in the world. And when we deal with that way as either sort of ignoring it and leaning into hedonism or we press into some sort of legalism, we miss Jesus's invitation, which is this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. So this is happening in the context of the temple. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Verse 29, Jesus says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was the Shema. This is the prayer that you would pray. This is of all of the scattered gods, of the not knowing where you stand with God. The Shema, this, this prayer, the Lord is one, was this understanding that there is one God and one way and one order. There's powerful implications to that different sermon. He goes on, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. In the book of Matthew, he says something similar, like all of the law, all of the Old Testament, all of the ways you're called to live in the world, they all hang on this. The rabbi Hillel, who was around at the time of Jesus, articulates it very similarly. And he has this great phrase. He says, look, 
It's all about loving God and loving neighbor. And he says, the rest is commentary. The rest is just commentary. Here's why I mentioned this text. Because you are what you love. Can, can, can you let that sink in for a minute? You are what you love. If you disagree with it, will you just kind of suspend your disbelief for a moment? In every area of your life, you are what you love. When you look down the ledger of what you're into, what you're excited about, what you spend your time on, and you begin to dig down deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, you're going to begin to notice, I humbly submit to you, that though you say you love God more, you say you love mom more. I saw this great meme. It was like, um, when should you call your mom? And so the, it was like one of those graphs. And so on one side, it was like, um, I called her recently. And then it says, go call your mom. And then the other one was like, I haven't called her in a while. And the other one was like, go call your mom. <laughs> anyway, like you say you love, that wasn't funny. You say you love your <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. That wasn't good, Andrew. We say uh, we, want, we want to be generous people, but you look at our finances and they don't right quite line up with generosity and giving to those around us. We applaud and give thanks for those who stand up and protest for the things we want to see protested for on Facebook, but we don't often engage even within our sphere of, of influence. And we could go down the line. There are things that actually take up our time and our energies. And I just submit to you that at the end of the day, they actually are the things that we truly love. He says, love the Lord with all your heart. The heart in Hebrew understanding is the core of a person's identity. It's the source of their thoughts and their words and their actions. Love for God is about like something flowing from the deepest part of a person's being. And some people have dead hearts. And that's what the good news of God does is it revives them. It gives them an image of what's true. But other people, and I think this is for a lot of us, we have idolatrous hearts. I know I'm one of them. Which means that the center of our heart, it's not dead. There's just something getting more attention than what should. Idolatrous hearts are, are, are hearts that have other things that are actually taking the place of the most important thing. Therefore, because we love because um, God first loved us, we're told, the pursuit of God towards us, it wins us over. God's love and heart for us should be reciprocated by our giving of our heart to him. Once we have, like in the scriptures, once we have received this new heart from Jesus, this is how the, the Christian story is told, we have the, the most important job then is to guard your heart. Guarding your heart, take heart, is a phrase that comes up over and over and over in the Bible. It's like core to spiritual formation. And think about it. This is the normal thing that we do when we experience love. The Bible says this because if I'm so loved by the God of the universe, take heart, guard it. We do this when we experience tender, passionate love. When we experience somebody who just like gets us and we love them, what do we want to do? We want to make some kind of covenant commitment, even if you're not like the get married type. You want to lock it down. You want to determine. You want to, like, name it. So where are we? Is this official? Is this exclusive? Can I put this on my wall? Like, like I'm, I don't know what it is. Like, we, we, want to, we want to find some way to put a border on it because we want to guard it. We want to protect it because all sorts of things are going to vie for your and your lover's attention. You want to draw a boundary around it. Loving God with all your heart is about your will and your volition. It's about guarding, loving God with all that you have is one. Two, the soul. Now the soul in the scriptures, like when Jesus is in the garden, he says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. In the Psalms, you see the Psalmist talking about my soul is downcast. The soul, if you're taking notes, it is like uh, the, the place of emotion. It's our affection. It's emotional love. It's emotional love. It's, it's recognizing we have a full range of feelings. And Jesus is saying, what you need to do first and foremost, if you are what you love, 
your heart, your volition, your will, and then your soul, your whole range of emotions need to be dialed in toward God. Some of you, when you come to, uh, to, to sanctuary, you do roll in, you roll in late or, or the least favorite part I've heard from some folks is like the worship sometimes is a little too much, just a little much. I get it. When we first started sanctuary, we like, we took our time. We t- it was like, it was an evening worship service. So we'd do like 15 songs. So it was like heart basically. And we would go, we would go a very, 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 very long time. Just like quiet. No one has to move. Get into the zone. It was dark. I actually really missed that. It was great. I needed that. But what I realized looking back, and when, I, when I'm trying to engage in worship now, and not just when I have a chance to like play, is that there is such a, a beautiful moment of emotional engagement that can happen in worship. And some of us are just emotionally like repressed. It's not just you're like, you're, you're a Presbyterian. I love me some Presbyterians. I have some quotes from a couple in here today. It's not just that. You, you're, you don't want to, I mean, the practice, because it feels disingenuous of giving God all of your emotion. I know I've used this before, but I've seen some of you in front of a TV screen watching the Patriots. You don't struggle with like emotionlessness. I've seen some of you come and talk to me about that person that you're interested in. And I, I can see you're like, they're the best. And oh my gosh, and he said this. And he's like, and it's like, we're singing about the beauty and goodness of the God of the universe loves you. And you're like, what a beautiful name. What a beautiful name. I'm not trying to be rude. I, I just... And I'm not saying everyone needs to worship the same way. I just, God's looking for a whole range of emotion. When we come together with home groups, the amount of times I hear, oh, in our home group, no one really shares anything. I know there's a lot of dynamics that happen in that. But the reason why we like pour so much energy and effort into creating small spaces is because like church should look like AA way more than anything else. It's not a show. It's come as you are. Be honest, be real. I know that takes time for some folks and all of that, all those prefaces aside. There's some groups that have been meeting for a long time and no one still ever talks in the group. Talk in your group. Bring your whole emotions. Bring all that you are. There's something about uh, uh, that that we, we struggle. I think we struggle with stepping into the way of Jesus because we have this sort of repressed emotional spectrum. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. All that is within me, praise his holy name. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your redeems and diseases and redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion and satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is, youth is renewed like eagles. That's like a yes. Hallelujah. I love when we have songs. We open the, 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 the service today with a song with a hallelujah chorus. Some of you may not know what that is. That's just like, praise the Lord. Give thanks. Even those of you who have no no reference point for the way of Jesus, someone dragged you here today. You get that just, you got to point your wonder and awe and thanksgiving somewhere. We can't be people who are sectioned off. And I see it in New England. I see it in Providence. People are just, we struggle with that. Mind. Mine is about an intellectual love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with your mind. And this isn't just, um, this isn't just information, right? The mind is the faculty of perception and reflection that directs our opinions and our judgments. And so our love for God requires more than our emotional response or just a swirl of activity. We have to love God with our intelligence, thinking about God, It's a process of being changed in our minds so that we think what God thinks about everything. It's not, we're not looking for like sentimental, emotional drivel. Like learning to take all of life and think clearly about it. Ephesians 2, 
23 to 24 says, be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The most important thing you should be thinking with the mind of Christ is what does Christ think about that? Love the Lord with your mind. Know about God so that when you're confronted with, should I do this or not? Is this the way or not? We can say, well, what would, what, what does Christ think about that? I can answer actually the question. I'm not leaning on others to impart information to me. I am, I'm loving him with my mind. What does Christ think about that? So the next time you're torn, just what does Christ think? What does Jesus think about sickness? What does he think about the kingdom of God? What does he think about money? What does he think about the kind of relationship that I'm in? What does he think about the way I'm using my leisure time? What does he actually think? Have you got clarity about that? Again, Romans 12, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Bring things into alignment. Know what God thinks about provisions so you don't have to hoard the granola bar. <laughs> Lastly, strength. I need to go quick here, but strength simply is this. It's not just like your kind of physical will, your ability to like love the Lord with all your strength, like to muster your strength to do the right thing and to just somehow show him love through that. It goes way beyond that. It gets a bit technical with some of the language, but essentially it's like love the Lord your God with all of your very, is in the Aramaic. And, and all that is saying is it's not just about your own power. It's about all the resources that you have at your disposal. Here's why that's awesome or in, I hope interesting to you. Like love the Lord your God with all you got. You got some tools and resources to help point your whole self toward the thing that is most good and true and beautiful in the world. This is what the invitation is. So you can see, I hope some of you, how when you think about what it means to have like practices and rhythms and discipline, those are all kind of new words like forcing yourself to go to the gym because you believe being healthy is a really good way to live and you care about swimsuit season and the clock already started on September 1 for the next season. You want to be healthy and, you know, you want to look moderately good. Actually, in September, you're not going for moderately good. You're like, I'm going to be amazing. You're going to be able to, like, wash clothes on my abs. It gets moderately good by March, and you're like, all right, just in the ballpark. Why do we do this? Why do we put ourselves through this? And why eventually do many of us actually then begin to love the way it makes us feel, like exercise and eating better, all these things. Disciplines. You can see how love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. How am I loving God? If I, if, if I believe that Christ's way is the best possible way, if this is the way of life, what are the disciplines that I'm doing? Do I have any sorts of rhythms in my life? If I am what I love, if, I, if, I, if I'm confused why I'm still struggling with that thing, it's because I haven't come into alignment with what's really true. I don't trust that God will provide the food I don't trust that God's way is actually best. If I did, I probably wouldn't spend this much time just binge watching X. I'd spend time in the, in the Word. I'd spend time learning about it. I'd spend time serving the poor. If we know that God is with the poor and cares for the poor, and the, I would spend time being aware of the needs around me. I, I would spend time. I was in a conversation last night with some good friends around like, like the power of the dinner table. Like, there are rhythms. I, there's something beautiful when I come together and I eat with the family and I'm inviting, I'm welcoming my, I'm opening my dinner table. Like, what are the things and the disciplines and the rhythms that begin to create new grooves in the record? Because if you are what you love, do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? We need to, God's inviting us because he has so loved us. Love me with all that you have. I've given you everything. I haven't just given you a portion of my love. Will you take hold of it? Will you take hold of it? And so I think 
Um, and uh, I'm going to invite the band up as we close here. I think what we need often is a little like spiritual like MRI. A little like CAT scan. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of if you've ever had a CAT scan, if you've ever had to go into the tube. <laughs> Here's what I always think of. What on earth is like seeing me right now? I don't mean like the person behind the glass, like as someone who is cl- clearly like knows everything about MRI machines. <laughs> as I'm going in, I, I, I've only, this only happened to me once. I'm thinking, I feel rather exposed. Anyone else? But there's something really great about this. You're like, if there's anything wrong, it should, we should know. In fact, this is, I know why some people, it's like their worst nightmare. I don't really want to know if there's something wrong with me. I have a friend who hasn't been to the doctor's office in years because he's just frightened of what he might find out. And he'd rather live in blissful ignorance. But there's this prayer. There's this prayer that God uh, gives us through the Psalmist David. And it goes like this. Search me and know my heart. Search me, God. Like, scan. Are there any disordered loves in my heart? Are there places of idolatry, places where I love X more than I love you? I love indulgence more than I love love. Search me and know my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. See, the psalm goes, see if there is any offensive way in me. Or is anyone, just real quick, anyone willing to do that today? If you're willing to do that, there's no, no guilt. You just sort of like, what should I do? I don't want to like make anyone else feel bad. Just, if you're willing to do this, would you just raise your hand for a second? You don't have to be willing to like be searched. (laughs) So something awesome is going to happen right now. I just want to like put it out there. Like something beautiful is going to happen because if the truly in your heart, you're like, yeah, yeah. Let's do another run through the MRI machine. Where are my loves disordered? These are the kinds of things that will come up in this moment. Look, what am I really passionate about? What do I say I love and want to be about in the world? Look, God cannot transform who you are pretending to be. He can't, because that's not real. We're not talking about who you're pretending to be. Bring your doubts and your uncertainty and what you want to believe and what you want, but it's not really there. Bring all of it and allow God, allow this, this, this prayer to be genuine in your heart. Lord, search me. If I believe that your way is the way of heaven, the way of beauty, the way of life, then I want that. And if I am what I love, it means there's stuff that I love more than you. There's stuff that I love more than you. So search me and find it. Shine a light in the in the dark corners of the house. Anyone have like dim lit areas of their home, purposefully? That's where the the, the dust, dust goes. That's where the that's that's like the closet we don't really go in. I don't. I haven't looked under that bed in six years. Anyone? This is like God. Just turn the light on. Just oh, I don't really want you to, but do it. Search me and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. See if there is disordered love. Search my passions. I'm passionate about all this stuff, and it's not you first and foremost. And that, that's not what I want. All this relates to calling in this. When we get our first love right, everything else falls into place. It really does. I've seen it over and over and over. If Nick was still here, he just moved to, to Canada. I know some of you know Nick Cole. One of my favorite stories was sitting with Nick 
as he's just having all of this heartbreak about his job and what am I doing and this is not what I signed up for. This is not why I went into this debt with RISD. This is not, I'm doing all of these side projects and there's all these beautiful things. I feel lost and I feel listless. And we were able to go back through, hey, 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 hey. What's the most important thing today? What do you know you're called to? And we started to walk like through, like starting at a 100,000 foot view of his life. I can tell you right now what every single person in this room is called to right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, do you have your loves ordered rightly? To love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything else hangs, Jesus says, on that. What am I called to give my energies to today? What's the creative thing I'm supposed to build? What's the thing I'm supposed to contribute to the healing of the world this week? What's the way I'm supposed to do? All those things fall in line when we keep first things first. When we keep the source at the center. God doesn't just love portions of us. He loves and has retained all of us. He's not committed to changing parts of us. One writer says he is committed to transforming all of us. God doesn't save us by fractions. He wants us to love him wholeheartedly. Wholehearted love of the Father must not be reciprocated with half-hearted devotion. This is why Jesus, in the beginning of the book of John, asks that man, what do you want? Not what do you know? He, not what do you believe, but what do you want? Search me, God. What do I, what do I want? What do I say I want and what do I really want? See if there's any offensive way in me, Lord. What do I really want? What does my life say that it wants but what it, versus what I really want? And lead me, Lord, into the things that matter most in this world, beginning with loving you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And the beauty of all of this, because it needs to be said as we come to the communion table, beauty of all of this, just like my friends who said, you keep the box under your bed. It's okay. It's not okay, but it takes some time. God loves us right where we are at. That wholehearted love is not predicated on your devotion. It doesn't stop because you haven't given all. You don't, you're not accessing the riches and the blank checks that you have. But that love does not change. God in every way is not trying to get you to earn a thing. And so as we come to the table, might we be like fueled and energized by the understanding, the depth of understanding of his love for us and how that, that is the very thing that transforms our desires and transforms our disordered loves. Before the ushers come out, here's our prayer. If you want to, if you're, if you're comfortable, no pressure. If you're comfortable, just close your eyes. Uh, for me, I like to be in like a, a really comfortable, like a, an open posture. So my physicality is important. So if I was sitting on the seat, sometimes it's like this. Sorry, it's a little close. I'm sorry. Put my hands out. Just like to receive. It's like why some people raise their hands when they worship. It's like surrender, open, as if that's helpful. Put two feet flat on the ground. Take a deep breath. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. First followers of Jesus called people of the way way of heaven, the way of ultimate reality, the way of life, the way of beauty, the way of truth, how things really are. And so, God, we pray 
touch me. there's any offensive way in me. What do I really love? You, you know already. Lord, would you bring these things to the surface? And then the best part, Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in your way. I need you to lead me. And that starts right here. His body broken and his blood poured out for me. You've shown me the way of love, the way of the cross, the way of life. Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. Today, as we come forward, as you take the bread and the cup, I encourage you, if there's some things like that 14-year-old Smith who needed to slowly give back the granola bars and slowly give back the water, like, okay, I trust you that your way is the best way, so I'm going to let this go. I'm going to let this security go. I'm going to try to let this habit go. disciplines and rhythms around mind, soul, strength, and heart. Things that we need to say yes to and to let go of so that we can walk in greater freedom. <clears throat>